My name's Paul Tolley. You're listening to 2ARM FM and I'm very delighted to have uh, Barry Dawson in front of me. Barry's been involved with the Nashos uh, Armadale for a very, very long time. I believe you're President Barry and good morning. Thanks, Paul. Yes, I've been President and I'm also the New South Wales uh, uh, Liaison Officer for the state. So we celebrate, and uh, when I say we, I suppose this is more important to your members nationally than it is to a lot of other people, may not even know about this, but National Servicemen's Day is on the 14th of February. It's on the 14th of February and we hold the day of the Sunday closest to the 14th. As, as your local celebration or acknowledgement. That, that, that's correct, and it's, it's easier to, uh, uh, to uh, organise and... Uh, so some people say, well, you know, you're more like, if I'm the 14th, that's Valentine's Day, you're more like lovers than, uh, than fighters, but, <laughs> <laughs> but however. <laughs> so that, let's go back to the beginning and give people a bit of context and history here. The obvious question is, who are the Nationals? Okay, the, national, the Nashos are a group of national service or conscripts. Now, compulsory military training around the world is known as uh, national service, uh, conscription, uh, the draft, as the Americans call it, and also uh, nationally uh, security service. Uh-huh. In, uh, in Australia, it's nom- commonly called national service, and it's still the main thing. It is compulsory military training, and uh, generally you've got no no say in the matter at all. If your number comes out of the barrel or, or uh, uh, anything like that, you, you're in the army for a period of time. And... That period of time depends on the type of, if it's a a, uh, defence preparedness, it could be six months or it could be two years. If it's in time of crisis, it could be for the duration of the crisis, like in World War II, for argument's sake, they were Mm -hmm. called up for the duration of World War II. So, how and when did it start in Australia? Now, you and I have just been having a little chat prior to coming on air and I note that some people say that there were only two schemes. You and others say there were more than two schemes. So can you give us a little of the history of, of the number of times we've had this in Australia, this, this compulsory going, Well, going back, going back to the beginning, uh, after Federation in 1901, the uh, colonies had their own separate defence forces mm-hmm. and they were combined and uh, they had a lot of troubles trying to co- combine it. And uh, it was like herding cats trying to get six states trying to, you know, be uniformed in the Talk about federation, Barry. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And it was that that confusing that even though the defence, the uh, combined in March 1901, they never got the Defence Act uh, on paper until 1903 because they just could not agree on the content. And and I've done a bit of reading of history and, and some would even have referred to those those pre-unification times as militias or state militias? They were militias simply because they were part-time. Mm. Yeah. And uh, when, when, they, when they eventually did get the Defence Act put together, they uh, put... Uh, uh, the, they, they banned the formation of a standing regular army. And it was the only regular troops they had was in administration, medical, artillery, and, and they only had no more than what, three to 5,000 in that. The rest of the bulk of the forces uh, was uh, uh, part-time uh, and this uh, in the pre-1909, they had problems and uh, the, Federation, the Federation Army, they, as they called it, and it was such an extent that the, uh, the government in 1909 became uh, very concerned about it because we only had 26,000 people under arms part-time 
and uh, there was things going on in Asia, which the Japanese sank the Russian fleet in 1905. There was expansionist ideas with other Asian countries, and the the world was not a a, a safe place. The, gov- the government became very concerned about this and thought something had to happen. We can't get these Federation Army into line. We can't get them to do what they're supposed to do. From that point onwards, they uh, brought in an amendment uh, act, and it was called the uh, the Universal Defence Act uh, for uh, military and naval, and which was introduced the uh, idea of conscription for in, in peacetime. Now, under that, the, the Minister for the Army who introduced the legislation said to the Parliament in 1909, we have no defence forces to speak of. This is a national disgrace and a national uh, uh, embarrassment. We want to uh, we want to change that. So they, they did that and it was passed and it was the first English-speaking country in, uh, in the world to have national service in peace. And would this have been the first, if you like, the first scheme? Uh, this, so what, what were the dates? Uh, this, was the, this was the beginning of the first scheme. Mm. Uh, what they did after that, they wanted endorsement, so they got uh, Lord Kitchener, Field Marshal Lord Kitchener, <laughs> out. He did a seven-week tour of Australia and uh, in, inspected bases and troops and all this type of thing, and he uh, endorsed the whole, the, the whole system. Uh, and he found there's a lot of things wrong with the Australian system. There was... Uh, not enough ammunition, believe it or not. Uh, not enough people. Uh, the organisation was uh, up the creek, so to speak. There's other ways you could describe it. And uh, and he came up with a number of re- recommendations, including the number of units and all that. He and uh, suggested that you go from a force of 26,000, which they had then, up to a force of nearly 90,000. And most of those were part-time. So this were, they were part-time, but they were still conscripts. Well, at that stage, the guy, that's what he, he proposed. But, oh, that was uh, then, the proposal, then, And then, the, the, then the, uh, the, the conscripts started in on the 1st of January uh, 1911 with the call-up of junior cadets, which was 12 to 14-year-olds, and then uh, senior cadets up to 16-year-olds. And how long did that scheme run for? That scheme ran till 1929. All right, and now let's go to the second scheme, which is still earlier than than the one that a lot of people yeah. accept. Well, the second scheme was in uh, 1939 uh, to 1945. Okay, so that covered the... That, uh, that covered World War II. Mm. And the first people called up for that system, uh, were, uh, they had to report by the 1st of January 1940. Okay, and they served alongside ADF members, or what we would now call ADF members? Well... Being quite honest, there was no ADF then. Yeah, that's why it's what we would now call. <laughs> well, what we would now call, because mm. just to highlight that a little bit, the the Defence Act 1903 prohibited a, an establishment of a standing army, and that remained in force until the 30th of September 1947, believe it or not. Okay, no, I didn't know that. Now, anyway, uh, yes, but they were, they were called up. They uh, they served with, uh, uh, the, they called the... Uh, um, the second AIF, they served overseas uh, where under the Defence Act, militia and uh, that, uh, conscripts couldn't serve overseas outside Australia or Australian territory. Now, in World War Two, New Guinea wasn't Australian territory, so national servicemen and the militia could serve in New Guinea, which they did in large numbers. 
Okay, now we go to what some call but the first scheme, but you will call the third scheme, and that was 51 to 59, am I right? That was from 1951 to 59, and that included the, uh, the Army, Navy and Air Force. And in 1957, the Air Force and Navy was excluded from that, and then the, Na- and then the, uh, uh, the Army went for another two years to 1959. And the last scheme, uh, to the best of my knowledge, was 65 to 72. That's correct. And uh, that was where they come out with this comical uh, system of selective uh, national service with the uh, birthday barrel. Yes, Vietnam. Vietnam, Vietnam, uh, and that was a centre point of the Vietnam uh, era at that time. They they, They needed the troops. The only way to get it was through conscripts or national service. And then uh, that uh, they, they had to select, make that selective service. They went through the uh, the lottery barrel. Can I take you back to something you said a moment ago? The we talk about the three services: army, naval, air force. Yeah. Uh, have the nationals always served in, across all three, or, or have they just uh, were traditionally been in the army? Well, out of the four services, uh, the uh, was the army and navy in in the first game from nineteen eleven to twenty nine. Army and navy, yeah. In the second scheme, it was uh, Army only. And in the third scheme, 51 to 59, was uh, Army, Navy and Air Force. And in the fourth scheme, it was Army only. Army only, okay. And I I suppose one would have to say that the most contentious of all the the schemes was the Vietnam era scheme. uh, As far as the public goes, because of the publicity that went, went, went with it, it was the first time they fought a war on TV. And uh, with with what was happening is that they really had uh, uh, problems trying to sell the idea, and the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems, was uh, the birthday barrel, and all the lottery barrel, and where your birth dates come out, and if you were born on that day, that was it. Your first prize was two years in the army, and uh, as one bloke said to me recently, that he said. Yeah, well, we got more than that. He said, I got two years in the army. I got an overseas trip, and after that, I got a, a, a ten days cruise coming home. But so a lot of people <laughs> thought second second prize. A lot of young men thought second prize was a much better option than first prize, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, but and I, and I said, oh well, from my point of view, I got a tour of Southeast Australia. I didn't get any overseas trip, thankfully. And of course, <laughs> that was at a time when. Australian society was undergoing a lot of change. People were wanting to uh, and becoming very focused on getting a house, getting a mortgage, getting getting married, having children. And I'm not saying that that's yeah. not always been the case, but I think there was a change in a direction in society at that time where people felt that they really had drawn the short straw if their, if their birthday came up in terms of yeah. the social context at the time. You, you, you're very right on that because uh, that stage of game, home ownership, from my generation, become an, uh, become a priority. Yep. A lot mm-hmm. of our parents didn't have uh, owned their own homes and all this time, and it became uh, home ownership become a priority. So you plan for that, and you know financially and otherwise, right from an early stage. And when you got the tap on the shoulder from Big Brother to say, "Well, guess what you're doing for the next two years," interrupted a lot of those plans. Your plans were disrupted. Yes, and I think that was a, a, an important background, social background too. It, it was too, and a whole lot of things changed then. It was, uh, uh, it was, uh, well, actually it was, <laughs> the, it was the era of free love too, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which upset a few people. But uh, but a lot of people had plans. The economy was improving. 
Uh, there was uh, you could leave one job in the morning and start another one in the afternoon. You know, everything was going well. Now let's look at some of the locations in which Nasho served. You mentioned um, New Guinea because. It, Australia at that time uh, controlled New Guinea. But um, my research has told me that people went to Borneo, Nashos went to Borneo, Malaysia, Vietnam, as New Guinea, as we've discussed, and even um, the waters off the Korean Peninsula. Yeah, they, they would have been in the Navy to do that, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, they, with, the, with the New Guinea campaign, uh, some of them was... December 1941 was the uh, was the time uh, the crucial point. There was a lot of uh, part-time militia units called up, and they were made full-time after that. They were uh, de- uh, deployed around Australia at certain points. Here, there was uh, key invasion points. Newcastle was one, Sydney, Illawarra area, and some went straight to New Guinea. And they weren't weren't equipped as they should have been. They weren't trained as they should have been, and they went straight to uh, uh, to Port Moresby. Can you talk a little bit about Borneo and Malaysia? I'm not too 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 familiar with those two two places. And uh, Malaysia was probably there after uh, after World War Two. I know a couple of nations there who went over there in the 60s, but they were a part of the Commonwealth. Uh, forces at that time. So to do that, I guess they were then put under the ADF banner um, in order to serve overseas? Would that have been the case, do you think? No, when they, when they bought the 1964, 1964, they bought the National Service Act, in, you know, this is for the fourth stream, and accompanying that act was uh, a, another act saying that they could be served, they can serve okay. overseas. All right. So they, they worked hand in love and that was done primarily with uh, with uh, Vietnam in mind. Okay. Now, the March draw of 72, which was to start service on the 27th of September that year, was, as I understand it, the very last intake uh, with national service being abolished on the 7th of December of that year, 1972. It was, that, 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 that's right. According to... Uh, See, my brother was called up before I uh, after I was, and uh, there was the the uh, the, uh, the election was in full swing. Vietnam was high on the political agenda. Uh, most people wanted the war in Vietnam to finish, and uh, they knew that uh, Gough Whitlam would bring in legislation to withdraw the forces. So uh, McMahon, who was the prime minister leading up to the election, decided to sweeten the deal a little bit, and he reduced national service from two years to 18 months and uh, uh, in the hope to try and stem the, fl- the flow of you know, uh, uh, criticism coming from the public, Australian public. This worked for the benefit of a lot of people and my brother was one of them. He was uh, in the artillery and he was due to be, be sent to Vietnam as a replacement for one of the uh, artillery units coming back. He actually went into a close camp for two days ready for transport to New Guinea. And when these inter- uh, political issues came to fore, he then was uh, told, no, they're not going. So the the, univer- the, uh, the unit coming back was not going to be replaced. So he was within 48 hours of being put on a plane, a boat, whatever it was, to be sent to Vietnam. So, uh, yeah. well, Another of the social issues, and it's always interesting, I think, to look at these th- things like this 
through the lens of the social events of the time, as, yeah. as we did earlier, as well as, as the military or defence mm. lens, my understanding is that one of the problems is that young men were, were going into the various forces and you could be a mechanic, for example, a diesel mechanic mm. in, the, in the army, mm. but that the qualifications or the training in the defence force was not recognised in civilian life. So you were getting skills, but you nece- couldn't necessarily just transfer them straight into a job in civilian life. Uh, at that stage of the game, if you went into an accredited apprenticeship scheme like the Army, Navy and Air Force had an apprenticeship scheme, I think they were recognised after you come out. But you're going into what the Army recognised when they went in. Lo- locally, uh, there was um, uh, Trevor Atwood from Ural, who was one of the uh, local Nashos killed in Vietnam, uh, Trevor was a qualified and licensed electrician, and uh, he he when he went in, he went to the infantry because they wanted more infantry than they wanted electricians, <laughs> and that's the way that's the way it worked. Mm. I know we were caught when we were first went into camp. In, uh, there was forty eight of us at our platoon, and uh, they and this was only about two months after the Battle of Long Tan, and they said to us, whether you like it or not. 33 of you are going to infantry. And it was right, 33 of them did go. Barry, was there a relationship um, either from from above or on the ground between the Nashos and the reservists? Any crossover between those two schemes? Well, in the... Going back to World War... Oh, going back to World War Two, for argument's sake, there was a bit of animosity between the uh, the militia and the AIF, and that relationship was stretched because they used to call the militia chocos and uh, koala bears because koala bears up to that time couldn't be shot or exported overseas, <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of that going on. However, when the Battle of Australia started in New Guinea with the Kokoda and the Millen Bay, militia provided probably about half the uh, forces in that. And they acquitted themselves very well. And after that, the AIF said, OK, look, we sign up together, we train together, we eat together, we fight together and we die together. That animosity disappeared after that, which was good. Uh, but in our, in our time there, there was... Uh, uh, I don't know if there was any other animosity between the regular forces and the uh, reservists or not. But when we were, uh, when I was in, I was in the fourth scheme, and we were integrated to the regular army. We were actually classified as regular army supplements, and in, on our on our supplements, uh, supplements <laughs> uh, on our service certificate, and in brackets, national service. It's a strange word, isn't it? Supplements. Although the the navy, uh, the army's got a lot of strange words. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a bit of research and looked at some of the figures, and one thing that that I found. Um, well, I was surprised. Between 51 and 72, almost 300,000 young Australian men were called into the two separate schemes yeah. for compulsory training, Navy, Army, Air Force, mm. and 212 died in active service in Borneo and Vietnam. There was, uh, yeah, 212. Uh, unfortunately, three of those come from uh, our Armadale area with Billy Brett and... Uh, Trevor Atwood and Ross McMillan, uh, the, uh, and uh, we—I uh, think we all knew somebody who uh, who, uh, who, who was like. Well, particularly if you served, you knew. Uh, you, uh, you always knew somebody who was 
Uh, mm. He was he was he was killed over there. You made the point earlier that that not all Nassos got to go overseas or or participate in in um, yeah. war zones overseas. We hear more and more about mental health and about uh, and particularly I guess post Vietnam about how difficult it can be for defence people to integrate back into civilian life. Did, did this affect the Nassos as well, even if they just served in Australia? Generally, it didn't. It didn't affect me. I, I didn't go overseas, uh, uh, but it didn't affect me at all. And most of the people who, in my position, they, they weren't affected by it. But the other ones who uh, did serve overseas, not only did they have mental, but they had physical uh, medical problems as well. And I know a number of people who have had medical issues since their 30s, you know, and it's far too uh, young mm -hmm. to be experiencing chronic chronic uh, medical conditions. And, of course, in the Vietnam intake, um, a lot of them suffered stigma when they returned because, as you pointed out earlier, that the Vietnam War by the end was very much on the nose in Australian it, it, society. It was on the nose, and, and, and I think one of the, the shameful parts of Australian public uh, was in that during that time because when the troops come home, they weren't welcomed home like they were in World War Two and World War One. They they came home and the only generally the only welcome they got was from uh, family and friends. They never had a really a an official welcome home until I think it was October 1987, and that was a long time after the war finished. Yeah, and I worked with a bloke, uh, Channel Two in Sydney, who had served in Vietnam, and he would never go to the Anzac marches for exactly this reason. Mm. Just didn't, didn't want to... Well, there was a lot... That's still a little that, that little bit of around you. There, you know, people saying, that, well, I won't, I won't go to the Anzac Day. And, and another thing, too, is that they, some of the other defence organisations really didn't give them the, the, the support that which they expected when they came back. And they ended up forming their own association, the Vietnam Veterans Association, not only here but overseas in America, and uh, they had a quite a bit of political clout. Now, it, it appears that um, with members becoming older and older and, and the last scheme having ended in 72, that um, you've got a an ageing group <laughs> and a smaller, <laughs> a diminishing group in the Nashos. And uh, I understand that the National Servicemen Association of Australia is looking to close the doors on in 2002. 2026 and that as of this year we have something like only 3,172 members nationally. I'm not too sure about that figure being quite honest. I know that the New South Wales uh, haven't got any plans of closing. We are There are branches closing because of uh, numbers but a good portion of those problems too are people who uh, won't step into senior positions and if you can't get a president, if you can't get a secretary or a treasurer Treasurer, you really have no option but to uh, close the doors or uh, merge with somebody else. And I think this is true of all volunteer organisations. Well, it is. It's a lot of sporting pro uh, clubs have the same problem. Mm. Yeah. So we go back to the where we started, National Servicemen's Day, 14th of February 2023. You celebrate on the closest Sunday. What's going to happen in Armidale? Well, this year we've got uh, on the 11th, which is the uh, the closest Sunday, uh, on on the, to the 14th, and we're having a a, a church service at 9:30 in the St Paul's uh, Church, uh, conducted by uh, Reverend uh, David Seaman. 
Then we adjourn over to the uh, Central Park at uh, the Nashay's uh, Monument. At uh, an 11 a.m., we we will have uh, a commemoration service. Now, uh, at the, uh, we've got a number of people coming there. We've got so I've sent out uh, invitations to 15 schools. Uh, last year, we've had uh, uh, 12 schools attended. So far, eight have told me that they'll be there this year, which is great to see. And uh, then we've got uh, ex-service groups, uh, local and federal politicians have been invited. Haven't heard from them yet, but <laughs> but a few of the a few of the local politicians will be there, and the general public. We generally get a good support from the uh, from the general public in Armidale, which which is brilliant because we we have our our uh, uh, the photos there of the three local boys who were killed in Vietnam. Their families come up. Uh, we've got. Urella Central School, they'll be flag bearers for the two Urella boys who were killed in Vietnam. And then we'll have a staff member from the uh, Armadale Service Club holding the star of their flag for Billy Brett. Uh, we've got a speaker with Cathy uh, Market, she'll be speaking on uh, the, uh, the role of the women in the Australian Army Women's uh, Corps. And uh, each year we try to get a different speaker from a different aspect of the military life or civilian life. Last year we had David Seaman telling us the role of the padre or the chaplain within the armed forces, which is a very important role. Uh, and uh, then we have a wreath-laying service and it'll, it'll last about uh, about half an hour. Then after that, uh, that's it for the day. But we usually, we had a, we have a, usually have a good turn-up. We have a, you know, a hundred-plus turn-up. For, for that, which we, we're quite happy about. But so, the, so it starts at 9.30 with the, with the church with service? With the church service. Church service is not compulsory, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is for me. Being president, I've got to go there as well. And then people walk up to the and park. Then, then, the then, then they uh, adjourn across the uh, the park to the our, our memorial. I'd just like to mention here, just well, well, before I forget about it, uh, is that uh, if it, uh, in case of wet weather, we'll have the service inside the church hall, uh, the Presbyterian church hall. I wish you well on the day, and I know your numbers are diminishing, but I hope you get a good turnout and uh, good luck with that. I've been talking with um, President of the Armadale Nashos, Barry Dawson. Barry, thank you very much for coming in and talking about the day, about the 14th, mm -hmm. and a little about the history, which I'm sure not everybody is aware of and the background to the day. No, they, they haven't. Uh, we've got a PowerPoint presentation which I, I did one uh, just last Tuesday. If anybody's interested in me presenting, doing a PowerPoint presentation, it's about an hour. It, co it covers the uh, PowerPoint presentation plus general conversation. I don't mind people asking questions and talking generally throughout the uh, presentation. So thank you very much for coming into 2ARM and talking about, us, talking about it with us, Barry. Thanks very much. Good. Thanks to you.